0: This is Crowcast, the podcast from Crow in the UK, a leading audit, tax, advisory and risk firm with global reach and local expertise. In our podcast, you will hear from our specialists, offering insight and pragmatic advice to businesses of all sizes, professional practices, non-profit organisations, pension funds and private clients. Hello and welcome to the June 2021 edition of Fraudcast from Crow UK. My name is Jim G, and I'm a partner and head of forensic services for Crow. I'm also a visiting professor and chair of the Centre for Counter Fraud Studies at University of Portsmouth, which is Europe's leading research centre concerning cybercrime, fraud, bribery, and corruption. The Fraudcast series provides a mixture of news and comment. This month, we'll be bringing you the key findings from the latest research into the financial cost of fraud will be published in full shortly, news of the latest crime statistics concerning cybercrime and fraud, and a special focus section on procurement fraud and the business case to tackle it. But first, let's turn to the latest research on the financial cost of fraud. This research renews work first undertaken in 2009, 2011, 2013, 2015, 2017, 2018, and 2019. And that research collated accurate, statistically valid information from around the world about the real financial cost of fraud and error. Once the extent of fraud losses is known, then they can be treated like any other business cost, as something to be managed and minimised in the best interest of the financial health and stability of the organisation concerned. It becomes possible to go beyond reacting to unforeseen individual instances of fraud and to embed strategies to preempt and minimise fraud losses in business plans. The research doesn't look at detected fraud or the individual cases which have come to light and been prosecuted because there is no crime which has a 100% detection rate. Adding together detected fraud significantly underestimates the problem. If detected fraud losses go up, does that mean there is more fraud or that there's been better detection? Equally, if detected fraud losses fall, does that mean there is less fraud or worse detection? The research also doesn't rely on survey-based information where those involved ask their opinions about the level of fraud. These tend to vary significantly according to the perceived seriousness of the problem at the time by those surveyed. Whilst such surveys sometimes represent valid survey of opinion, that is very different from a valid estimate of losses. Instead, our research considers and analyses 807 loss measurement exercises undertaken over the period from 1997 to 2020. The exercises took place across 40 different types of expenditure in 49 organisations from 10 countries, considering losses and expenditure with a total value of 25.9 trillion sterling. So, what did we find? Well, we found that the average loss across all the exercises reviewed between 1997 and 2020 was 6.42% of expenditure with 68% of those exercises showing loss figures of more than 3%. Since the start of the global recession in 2008, there's been an increase in average losses from 4.6% to 8.6% for the period 2019 to 2020, an increase of 88%. And remember, this is before the advent of COVID-19. We will describe the impact of COVID later in this broadcast. So three things are clear. Losses to fraud and error can be measured and cost effectively. On the base of the evidence, it's likely that losses in any organisation and any area of expenditure will be at least 3%, probably near to 6.5%, and possibly more than 10%. And thirdly, losses can be significantly reduced when accurate information about their nature and extent is available. In any economic climate, not to consider the financial benefits of making relatively painless reductions in losses to fraud and error is foolhardy. Doing so can mean more money for better public services, more profitable companies, and charities being better able to fulfill their charitable purpose. So far, we've talked about what's been happening before COVID 19. But the Office for National Statistics recently published the crime statistics for England and Wales for the 12 months up to the end of December 2020. There were 4,454,000 incidents of fraud and 1,674,000 incidents of cybercrime within that period, a total of over 6.1 million incidents which represent over 51% of all crime. Compared to the 12-month period up to the end of March 2020, in other words, before the onset of COVID-19, there's been an increase of 21% in incidents of fraud and 91% in incidents of cybercrime. This confirms the position revealed by the two previous quarter statistics. So we should be clear that cybercrime and fraud have surged. It's unprecedented for such increases to take place over such a short time. Organised cybercrime businesses have been exploiting vulnerabilities arising from home working arrangements and fraud has surged as economic pressures have impacted on those already under financial stress. What is worse is that the nature of cybercrime and fraud threats evolve so rapidly that countermeasures are sometimes not kept up to date. It's no use being protected against what was happening a year or two years ago. Organisations need to upgrade their defences against the latest manifestations and the latest scale of the problem, what is happening now. These new crime statistics should set red lights flashing in every organisation across the country. Cybercrime and fraud protection needs to be urgently reviewed and updated to meet the current threat level. The next broadcast section looks at procurement fraud in the public sector and the business case to do more to counter fraud. As the government battles to recoup some of the mammoth costs incurred as a result of coronavirus, public finances are under fire from all quarters. The double whammy of astronomical spending to fund the public health response and plummeting tax revenues have had profound economic consequences. The Office for Budget Responsibility expects 2020 economic output to be 11% lower than it was in 2019, marking the biggest annual contraction in over 300 years. It's an economic outlook that makes the scale of public sector procurement fraud all the more galling. According to the most recent annual fraud indicator, compiled by Crowe and University of Portsmouth's Centre for Counter-Fraud Studies and to be renewed this year, Procurement fraud across the public sector deprives the public purse of an estimated $12.3 billion a year out of total public sector fraud cost of $40.3 billion. Take tax fraud out of the equation and procurement fraud represents around half of all public sector fraud by value. Despite the astronomical scale of the problem and the undeniable and largely unspoken impact on public services. It's a problem that grows by the year, and for which the government has no explicit strategy. The truth is, there isn't a proper strategic initiative to tackle fraud in the public sector. That died when the National Fraud Authority was abolished in 2014. Rishi Sunak's 100 million million budget pledge for a task force to tackle Covid fraud may have hit the headlines, but this ignores the ongoing situation Of money defrauded from the totality of public expenditure in normal times. Procurement fraud covers a wide range of misdemeanours, including the awarding of contracts in exchange for bribes, individuals personally benefiting from corporate supply contracts, the submission of false or duplicate invoices and goods and services that are undelivered or not delivered at all. In practice though, most of the procurement frauds that occur are high-volume, low-value transactions that are very difficult to detect. What's also true is that the scale of fraud has increased steadily since the 2008 recession. And as discussed earlier, data from the Office for National Statistics suggests that the pandemic has resulted in an even bigger spike in numbers. Individuals under financial pressure, remote working capabilities, temporary relaxation of controls and risk processes, Whatever the cause is, the reality is no one really knows the true extent of the problem. However, a failure and reluctance to quantify losses makes procurement fraud an even harder nut to crack. Fraud is not a static risk. It mutates like a virus, so it's very difficult to detect. Until public sector organisations know the extent of the problem, there's no incentive to do anything about it and the resources committed to tackling procurement fraud will remain woefully inadequate. In the US, they have the Improper Payments, Elimination and Recovery Act of 2010, which requires public sector agencies to publish in their financial reports the total cost of fraud and error every year. In the UK, if there were a credible measured cost of fraud, there would be a lot more pressure on politicians to reduce it. Counter-fraud work would be a lot better funded, and the cost of fraud would reduce. The truth is that what is being done is not proportionate to what is lost. At the moment, people can pretend that it isn't there. Admittedly, justifying any discretionary expenditure in the current political climate is an unenviable task. However, the return on investment makes the decision a no-brainer. As the former chief executive of the NHS counter-fraud service I was very proud that my team helped to slash the cost of fraud by over 60% in eight years, delivering savings of $811 12 times the $67 cost of its programmes. I've always advocated a strategy that focuses on prevention, detection and suitable sanctions for perpetrators underpinned by solid communications. You need a strong anti-fraud culture. There's always an honest majority, but all too often it's passive, not active. It's important to mobilise those people so that peer group pressure is strong and you send out a strong message that fraud is unacceptable. Meanwhile, efforts to deter and shrink the dishonest minority hinge on communicating messages about the likelihood of being detected, the probability of professional investigations that will uncover evidence, and the certainty of sanctions that will be imposed. While all efforts should be made to identify and eliminate weakness in processes and systems, certain warning signs can help you detect fraud. Here, data science and data visualisation techniques that flag up anomalies are a powerful weapon in organizations' anti-fraud armoury. And once detected, you need a professional investigation, you need to apply sanctions, not just criminal sanctions, but there may be civil action to recover the money, disciplinary action in terms of employment, or maybe contractual action against the supplier. Finally, you need to do your best to get the money back. Those public sector organisations that continue to see fraud mitigation as an overhead are missing a trick. If you reduce fraud, you have more money to invest in better public services. Then it's not just about morality or ethics, but there's a business case to do this. Well, that's all for this broadcast. I hope that you enjoyed it. Don't forget to listen in again soon. In the meantime, stay safe and make sure you're properly protected against fraud and cybercrime. Thank you. Tune in next time for another episode of Crowcasts. For more information about Crow, our services, industries we devise and insights, visit crow.co.uk. We are an independent member of Crow Global, one of the top 10 accounting networks in the world. You can connect with us on social media by following Crow UK on LinkedIn or at Crow UK on Twitter.